0: welcome in episode number 100 the healthy scratch interview segment nick boy it, that those words don't sound right <laughs> coming out of coming out of my mouth here it's been a while since we've had a guest on the show and been an even longer time since we've had a pair of guests or a guest on the show that wasn't connected to another part of the show so um but this one i think listeners are going to enjoy very well uh my not north dakota native mike schmidt uh coming on the show uh current nchc officiating supervisor to talk all things refereeing uh this is a fun one, Nick. Uh, you know, what were your impressions of Mike? Your first time, obviously, meeting him and uh, getting a chance to kind of hear about the NCHC officiating world.
2: I think fans will find this episode insightful because um, we we break down some of, you know, just obviously. And he's been a referee for over 20 years um, now, obviously, in a supervisory role. So we we dive into. You know what does that mean? what does the supervisor actually do? We actually break down some specific plays from this year that were questionable um, from both sides of the puck for the Huskies, um, as well as getting into some uh, referee philosophy, um, how you manage emotions in a game, and more so maybe from his take. And this is the part that I really like the most, Noah, is if there's anything about reviews. Yeah, I yeah, will leave it at that.
0: Yeah, pretty good. Just kind of learning how to kind of walk through a weekend, what it's like to officiate in the NCHC um, and the things that those entail. We won't keep you waiting. Episode number 100 with Mike Schmidt.
2: And welcome in everyone to the Huskies Warmerdows podcast for a very special interview. Joining us now to talk about all things officiating Yes. Everybody's favorite pinstripes apparel. We have (laughs) NCHC supervisor. Yes. Mike Schmidt, Mike. uh,
0: Great to have you with us and thanks for coming on the show.
1: Thanks guys. Appreciate you guys having me.
0: Yeah, excited to have you on, Mike, as, as always. And uh, uh, like you had mentioned, one of four NCHC supervisors actually since the league's inception. So obviously, uh, you know your way around uh, college hockey, if you will. 15 seasons in the WCHA uh, as an official. I'll be 13 as a linesman. Is that right? Uh, I did uh, two years as linesman, 13 as a referee. Oh, other way around. Okay, other got it. Around, yeah. Got it. So seven frozen fours, 11 regionals, uh, 12 final fives and two national championships on that resume. So pretty impressive. Um, we'll definitely get into that in a little bit, but let's start with uh, how you're doing today, Mike. I, I don't know that many fans, you know, wouldn't support an official being injured per se, but Mike, you're, you're on the IR right now with a broken hand. Uh, how'd it happen?
1: Yeah. Well, like you can see here, uh, playing a little, uh, men's league beer league hockey the last week. And, uh, an accident where, you know, a guy turned into me and into my stick and uh, long story short, I end up at the doctor on Thursday, last Thursday, and I'm meeting with a hand uh, wrist guy tomorrow or surgeon and going to have surgery this week sometime. So hopefully it'll oh, be, geez. hopefully it'll be earlier <laughs> so I can get down and do, I'm supposed to be in St. Cloud this weekend. So hopefully it'll be either early or after next week so I can go to St. Cloud.
2: I hope you can bring some victories for the St. Cloud team because it's been a rough go for the Cardinal and black as of late, especially since essentially the Miami series, where uh, I think uh, a little bit uh, overshadowed with some of the flaws in that team. And now they're really starting to come out. Uh, But Mike, let's let's get into officiating, because this is a topic I think everybody likes to dive into. But let's just start with the basics. How did you yourself get into an officiating role?
1: Well, what happened is I came back to my hometown, Minot, North Dakota. I came back after college in '84, aged myself there. But then uh, we had these—I wouldn't even say it was even minor pro—is these startup teams, is like uh, I don't know, it was Minot Maple Leafs, and they like to—they put butts in the stands and they like to fight. And uh, so a couple of guys said, "Hey, you're young. You just came back. You know, you played high school hockey and uh, some junior college hockey. So do you want to put the stripes on?" and Come out here, and that's what I basically did. I started, you know, just they threw me out there into the wolves, man, and it's just basically break up fights, and uh, <laughs> and uh, so I kind of enjoyed it. I enjoyed what it was, and then I got lucky. Um, I went to some USA Hockey camps, and then Dean Blaze, who was at UND at the time, he was my high school coach. Um, he was good friends with Ron Foyt, who is a supervisor officials now, but at the time he ran the officials for the WCHA. So I ran reached out to, you know, uh, Dean. I said, Hey, how does a guy make it to the next level? He put me in contact with uh, Ron Foyt, went to a camp. And uh, so I got my first shot in 88, uh, 89, I think it was doing lines at UND. And, uh, and then I went through some USA hockey referees camps, uh, kind of like the players do development camps and, uh, and escalated up and was able to you know do what I'm doing in college and did a lot of, uh, I did about five international tournaments, with the USA hockey. So you know, basically got lucky. That's how it started. Just a uh, big, basically my backyard mind.
0: So on the other side of that, Mike, you know, you, you officiate for 15 seasons, the NCHC kind of comes into play, right? Uh, around 2012, 2013. Yep. Um, when did you kind of know that you didn't necessarily want to be on the ice anymore, but you still wanted to have that role in terms of the NCHC in a supervisory position?
1: Yeah. So in 2002, three is when I hung it up and that was when my boys were starting to play high school. My oldest one was playing high school. My youngest one was getting in competitive hockey. And I just, for me here, as you guys know, the, uh, you know, geography up here, I had the only place I can drive is Grand Forks. So I was flying to, you know, Wisconsin flying uh, everywhere else at Michigan tech, everything in WCHA. So I was gone every weekend. So I decided to step away from it at that point in time. And then what happened is the new league came up and actually I got called to, uh, interview for the director of officiating job. And it came down between myself and and, and Donnie Adam, another individual. And Donnie Adams there now. And when I interviewed for the job, that's when my son just got offered to play at Lake State in 2012. So, you know, I was going to knew I was going to spend four years of chasing, you know, going to, you know, those games. And I, I, I interviewed on it. I just told the panel that, hey, if you think I am the the guy that you need, I would stay with it. But I go, I'm going to be following my son for four years. And I knew that Donnie was going to hire supervisors and I was going to do the same. So we kind of talked behind the interviews and whoever got the job of him or I did, we'd hire each other as supervisors. So I knew I was going to jump back into the supervisor capacity one way or another at that point in time. Within this new league, I saw the opportunity there and I jumped at it.
0: Yeah. To kind of touch on a little bit, uh, if I may interject, Nick, uh, actually I knew Bryce, uh, your son who played at Lake Superior, uh, when I was younger too, of course, spent three years in the null with Bismarck and had 63 points, 166 games and then four years at Lake Superior, 148 games for him. And I believe he was assistant captain in 2015, yep. 16 is last year. Yep. Um, but I knew him at, from ask fitness, actually Marty Murray, back when he used to train, yep. uh, there. And I think it was my junior year of high school. I, I will never forget it to this day. Um, we were doing some sort of like deadlift type thing and we got done with that and we did some arm workout and he walked over and he grabbed the 110 pound dumbbells and started doing flies like shoulder flies with 110 pound dumbbells. And I was like, Holy shit. Like this guy's on another level, man. You just, (laughs) you just, but you know, I guess to kind of touch on that, I mean, how exciting was it, you know, to have a kid who ended up playing at the division one level and being around the game that of course you knew years prior for so long
1: you know it's really exciting it was fun you know to be you know and it came late he was a late signee, um but you know he, he saw that he went to juniors he his dream was to play d1 hockey and it came late and he had the offer and it's kind of funny because jim rock the coach used to coach one uh i don't know if it's americans or top guns at the time back here mine it so had a little connection with them and uh and not only was it fun with him, and then I have my oldest son who referees in the NCHC. In fact, he'll be doing the St. Cloud Duluth game. Um, you know, as we speak, it's whatever this uh, broadcast, but it'll, on Tuesday night, so no, uh, no
0: pressure. It comes out tomorrow morning on well, Tuesday,
1: so at not, it's not <laughs> okay, there he goes. <laughs> you know it, uh yeah. So he's you know, so it's fun to see those uh, those individuals. The only thing is, my wife is funny because we're taking Bryce out to Lake State. We drove him. I'm out there, of course. Went through Grand Forks and she goes, Nope, come be here, could he? You know, being distance. Went to Bemidji, Nope, come be here. Went through Duluth, went through Marquette, and we go the furthest distance down Highway 2. But you know what? He had a great four years and we loved it out there. So yeah, it was a great experience
2: so mike let's dive in a little bit to what the role is of a supervisor for a fishing right because i think a lot of fans have an idea of what it might actually entail but you know i guess can you sum it up for what the job actually means and what your actual powers are
1: yeah i'll just give you a rundown of what will happen like let's say if i go to st cloud this weekend i'll uh, fly into minneapolis um i'm gonna hook up with ryan hersey who's coming out of san diego one of the Referees, We're working with a local referee because we have referees fly in from different places. We do have some localized. So we'll pick up the linesman our local. We'll head to uh, St. Cloud. Uh, my first thing when we get into St. Cloud is I'll meet with both coaches. I'll go and do both coaches, say I'm here. They know I'm going to be there. And usually they'll show me video from the weekend before, whatever. They'll show me, hey, maybe when I go see Brett, he'll show me things from the OCC you know, that, hey, this center likes to do this. They like to do that. you guys be aware of that we'll just you know talk about that um and what happens is i'll go back talk to the guys you know how my meeting with coaches went game time i'll be up on top in the press box making notes and i will be sitting next to the video review person i would i don't operate the review we have a person operating the review if we have a review i'll jump in in the headset i don't have a decision none of the supervisors have a decision on the on ice we just walk guys through it they'll talk to us like hey and I'll ask them, what do you have on the ice? We have no goal because of goaltender interference. Okay, walk me through it. Okay, and then we'll, we'll, I'll look for the best angles prior to them coming up there. Um, they'll make that decision. Uh, they'll kind of ask me, do you concur? I said, yeah, I can, I'll concur with you on that, but that, that's their decision. Um, after the game, um, I'll have all my notes, we'll go through a little uh, process of that, hey, you, this is right, this wasn't right, uh, how we did there. I'll go back to the hotel that night, write up a report, send in to Donnie Adams, all other officials will – uh, we'll get that uh, Saturday morning. The coaches have a window of 9 to 1 that they can send me video. They can set, they can call me. They can bring up complaints. They can bring them whatever they want at that point in time. Uh, I might go you know, meet them at the rink if I'm in the same town, look at video. Um, and then what we do is on Saturday, we do not meet with the coaches on Saturday. Uh, this is a new thing we did this year. Uh, just because it takes some of the heat off of you know going to the locker room and talking to them on, after Friday night, um, I do the same thing over um and then i go home on the weekend and uh so that's basically and this sums it up of what i what we do in that situation now with the the power of a of a supervisor if there is suspensions what will happen is a director of fishing will send out the clip saying hey a team wants a challenge or they wants a suspension so they'll send it out to every supervisor officials and i send my response in Alone. I don't see the other guys' responses. We send those in to Don Adam and Josh Fenton, our commissioner. Well, they'll make that decision based on all of our four recommendations uh from the supervised officials, Donnie and Josh. So that'd be the other aspect that we do as a that's it, probably it in a nutshell there.
2: Uh quick real quick no just to follow up, Mike. Now, when you said when you talk about a suspension, does that play have to have been penalized or could it be a non-penalized play if a video was sent into you?
1: Yeah, uh, both, because we just had one. In the North Dakota game a couple of weeks ago, where there's no call on the ice, but the player was suspended after the after the fact. Uh, so it could be could be both situations.
0: Kind of a follow up on that too, Mike. Before we get into some specific uh, scenarios that have happened over the course of this season, uh, you mentioned when you're talking to the coaches from the previous weekend and they bring up some points about particular teams or tendencies. Um, how often is it that those points? Influence the way that the officials will run the game, and how often is it where, for lack of a better term, it's a a bit of total gamesmanship BS that you're like, Yeah, it's not, we're not going to be on that. You know,
1: it's, I mean, it, 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 I would go with the second one. I wouldn't say it's BS, but a little gamemanship to look at, you know, hey, this guy likes to hold this person, this team likes to do this along the boards. I mean, we'll let, the co- we'll let the guys know. I'll say, hey, the coach is concerned about this team that in the end zone and the D zone, they like to wrap and hold. They don't let go quick enough. This guy, you know, likes to do things. Uh, this defenseman likes to check up, uh, you know, on the guy. You know, so, I mean, it, it's just kind of getting it out there. And, we, and yeah. they'll, they'll bring up problem children from other teams that, you know, we already know. We know who the problem children are. So <laughs> it's just, uh, it, the, the funny thing is, is this year and the last couple of years, is faceoffs are so big. It just seems like face-offs are brought up every weekend. Like Here we guy, go, Nick. Here we go. Guy, this guy cheats. This guy cheats. <laughs> this guy isn't. And it's just amazing how the coaches, I mean, the, how big face-offs are for, for the coaches. Yeah, I will
0: bring up Nick before I let you jump in there. For those who are wondering, I believe it's episode number 96. Nick and I actually had a really long officiating discussion. Um, Actually, was our best episode in show history. Uh, So, Mike, if you got a chance to go back a couple episodes, you might you might enjoy it. You'll probably be mad at me. You'll probably really like Nick, but anyway. That's all right.
2: Well, it's again, it's, you have to look at... So, face-offs, again, as, as I mentioned, right, Mike, is that the puck possession in hockey is, is so important for the coaches and for the teams, right? And no question, as you know... Every single player in the dot Iowa former center myself, you're looking for every millimeter or half of an inch of an advantage you can get. Right. So when you're trying to keep that face off as clean and even as possible, granted, there's going to be some stuff that's probably going to be let go, but you know, with, with, I guess, how every team is trying to take, you know, give themselves an advantage, especially in certain key situations in, in the game, right? Um, I guess from your perspective, is the referees really, you know, for lack of a better phrase, they're not dropping the puck because either one player or the other, they're just looking for a, as fair as a face as possible?
1: Absolutely. that's what, And you're trying to establish that right away at the start of the game because it helps you in the third period when the team's got the, you know, goaltender pull, and then face off really is big because you you don't want to start in the third period trying to get them lined up. So you're starting to start from the beginning of the game and get them going. And you know, and just all you want really we're looking for is that little pregnant pause when they put the stick down instead of timing it. You know, we had a penalty a couple weeks ago. The game I was at, I can't remember what team it was. Um, God, was it St. Cloud? Might have been St. Cloud when they. Uh, um, I think it was. It when in fact I think it was where. There's a the face-off violation. And the guy told the, the referee, It goes, oh, I was trying to time it. I was trying to time it. Well, exactly. you tried to time it. And that was the second face-off violation. But all you're trying to do is get so it is a fair face-off because it is so huge. Like you like you were saying, Nick, is there's so huge right now with puck possession. These guys are so good at getting that puck. I mean, they'll get the puck before he even hits the ice out of the air. So we're just trying to slow it down and get the best possible face-off that they can and you have to start working from the beginning of the game, so at the end when the faceoffs are really, really big, you don't have to battle through that.
0: Doesn't that faceoff violation just sound like Kevin Fitzgerald, Nick? I don't know if it is or not, so, but well, he was actually given a two-minute minor
2: this week and on a faceoff violation, so that yeah. sounds like Fitzy. Uh, <laughs> but I guess, Mike, I want to follow up on actually more of a philosophical question here uh, for refereeing, and I had a phrase actually very well. Uh, I had one person say, "You know what? If the referee should call the book." Um, you would see probably some teams get penalized seven or eight times a game and maybe another team get one. Obviously that's a little bit hyperbolic, but my, my guts, my theory has been refereeing a game. is more like managing the game. It's not necessarily the rule book, I guess. Do you have a theory on how the referees are actually managing the hockey game is it more the rule book? Is it just trying to manage the game flows? I guess
1: what, what's your take on that? Yeah. Absolutely. If we were to call it by the rule book, I, I you know, there'd be, you know, we tried it one year when I was refing. they wanted more penalties called. So WCHA tried it. And we were up to 32, 38 penalties a game. Well, you can imagine how long that was taken. And, and, and uh, you know, 30, the old Duluth coach finally said, well, this is enough. And we went away from that. Um, so that experiment didn't work, but you're right. Managing the game is the big thing. And, and what we, what referees use a lot is, and you go to a lot of games, and you see one minute penalties, right? And the one minute penalty is, you know, it's 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 yeah, it was a hook, but it was a hook in neutral ice. He maintained possession of the puck. It didn't go to the opposite team, um, so we're going to call that. You know, let that go. Now, if that's a now if that happens in front of the net, and that's what we tell our officials is, we look at that slot area. You know, end zone face off um, out to the blue line. If they get in that area, kind of like the paint and in, in, in basketball, you get in that area, and then we start getting the hooking, the slashings. Then we start looking at that as, as a penalty in a situation like that. But, uh, I mean, you look at – I look at last week's uh, Omaha-St. Cloud game. I, you know, my son worked that, and I was talking to him on the way, driving back after the game. And uh, you know, we, we talked about it, said, how to it go? Well, it was, you know, minimal penalties. I don't know how about five, six penalties. We basically let them play, and both coaches like that. Um, there's a lot of minute, minute and a half penalties. But, again, but then if, he, if things start getting away as a manager of the game, things are getting away. You need to wrap that in. And that's what makes a good official versus a not so good official. When do you bring it in or do you ever bring it in and just let it just go? Uh, so, yeah, game management is big and our better officials are better at managing that game than others.
0: So let's kind of talk about, you know, the process of what it's like. You mentioned, mm-hmm. obviously, your role a little bit in some of the reviews uh, or non-reviews, so to speak. One of the probably uh, more noticeable incidents for st cloud fans this year was probably uh going back to the series against uh, the minnesota golden gophers in which uh, nick Perbic stepped around outside the net was grabbed uh in the back of the jersey no call uh gophers end up obviously scoring capitalizing on that play um and there was a review by the NCHC related to that what is that process like um Can you kind of walk St. Cloud fans through that play? Um, And and was it just a case um, of an official that just, you know, happened to maybe miss something or was the call the right one on the ice?
1: Well, you're opening up uh, well, (laughs) as as we can see, as you can tell, the call was not the right one on the ice. I mean, I'll, I'll, I mean, I'll stand by that. I mean, you can tell by that. The only thing is, is on that situation is, is, I I mean, I've been there, I've done it. Um, You're looking at the, you're looking at the game. And all of a sudden you're going, "Wow, that's a slash. That's a really good slash. Why is my arm not up? I mean, you just kind of go, okay, and you let it play out. Um, you know, I think in a situation like that, I don't know, but I think in a situation like that, you know, you kind of want the teams, you know, to dictate the play. Um, you know, hey, the, you're a big kid, you're a D1 player, skate through it. And then he probably sat there and said, okay, yes, that was something, let's skate through it. And all of a sudden the puck's in the back of the net. And that usually is what happens. And at that yeah. point in time, Uh you know, and, and again, it was just an unfortunate situation that happened. Uh, our leagues never, um, you know, came out in, in, in the media and then, you know, admonished the official, but they, they did at that point in time. I think that was maybe the correct thing to do. I know a lot of officials didn't like it, but, you know, when you make a mistake, you to own up to it. But I, um, it's just a hard thing because, like I said, with, with officiating, you just sometimes you just go, why didn't I call that? And I think that's what happened to that in, individual at that point in time.
2: Mike, I want a quick follow-up on that because we spent actually a good chunk of time actually breaking down that play, and and basically what we may have concluded was just the angle of where the referee was uh, just based on where Nick Purvis was kind of, sh- you know, essentially shadowing the gopher player, maybe not necessarily see the tug. Uh, was there ever, and I'm not sure if this is information you're disclose, but was there maybe a sense in the ref that maybe he just didn't see the tug and maybe thought that he just lost his balance? Was there any discussion or are there discussions? Maybe this is a better way to phrase it on the specifics of a play. And maybe why one was, I don't know if we say missed because if you're not missing something. You don't see
1: it. Right. <clears throat> Yeah. And I think I think uh, that all that comes into play with this one here is I think that the tug was seen, but not the gravity of it, if that makes sense. Because I think he he didn't see it as as bad as the video shows it. Because you know, when I first looked at it live, I'm going, ooh, okay, he goes down. Eh. But then you see the one angle and you're going, Oh, it really was bad. I think that situation came into play there where he was thinking, like, okay, hey, it wasn't as bad as I saw it, so hey, fight through it. But then when you see the video. And, and everybody in our league said, yeah, once you see the video, it was a pretty good talk. That's, that's, then, kind, of,
0: that's kind of the way those things work, right, Nick? It's all, they always end right. up at the back of the net too, Absolutely. right? right. Absolutely. Yeah. And,
2: my, and my second follow-up to that, Mike, I guess because there's two officials on the ice, right? Um, yes. What is the role of the the back ice official in a situation like that? I know that each official is watching something a little bit different, but could the back ice official have seen that and have raised the arm? Or I guess was he in charge of looking at something else in that overtime?
1: No, officials can call anywhere any fish penalties on the ice. And uh, in that situation, it was just the, and again, we're, we're talking about three on three overtime where at big sheet ice like St. Cloud, where the probably the back official wasn't in the position there he would be in regular game because they move so flipping quick up the ice. So he was back a little bit further, didn't get a good angle at it. But no, if an official can see it. We, we try to tell the officials the high guy, the guy that's out in the neutral zone let the low guy have the hooks holds because he is there looking at it. But if all of a sudden you see something to the head, check from behind something aggressive, make those, make those calls. But if you see something really, really egregious, like if if that official saw that tug pull, then yes, absolutely. You got to make that call.
0: So let's talk about uh, the big one that has probably been on the minds of uh, as of recent. And Max Beach, of course, will uh, love this one uh, to his core. I'm sure I, uh, we've had a lot of discussion, Mike, and you and I actually joked about it at, at men's rec a couple of weeks ago. Uh about a minute 15 left uh, in regulation Duluth st cloud a couple weeks ago uh and it was uh Tanner Laddrup that's coming down the ice on a 2 on 1 empty net yami Cranola comes uh lifts his stick and then Laddrup goes down huskies go back down and uh, what do you know they score of course on that play uh from your perspective and, and kind of walking through that you know when did you first kind of get a chance to take a look at the play what were your first impressions and who really is right on this argument? Do St. Cloud State fans, you know, have a little bit of argument that it was a good no-call, or should Duluth fans be rightfully upset about this one?
1: Well, I, I mean, I was looking at it probably about a half hour after the game because I got a phone call from the director, well, the supervisor that was there and says, hey, can you look at this? You know, like, you know, can you just look at this on there? So we get, you know, DVD sports comes up right away, and I was on it talking to him, looking at it. And right away when I saw it, I was going, Wow we missed another one, you know, in that situation going, you know, here we go again. Um, but then you look at it frame by frame, we can slow it down. And, and literally it, he hits a stick. I mean, I, to me that way, I mean, it looks like he lifts his stick. It's at the time the Duluth player was either shooting or passing the puck was maybe on the outside edge. I just think it was a, you know, everything lined up or the stick hit the stick, the player went down. But when you look at it and fast, fast motion, it looks like, he's taken down, but I think, and I'll stick by it. And we brought up to the other guys that actually the correct call was made. And, and it's kind of funny, you bring it up, Nick. And we're so glad that that guy didn't overreact to make that call, you know, because it looked egregious, but I think it was the right call. And, and actually I had Duluth and Denver the following weekend. And, you know, I talked to Sandlin about it in the locker room a little bit. We went back and forth and cause I thought, Oh boy, here we go. But I mean, I mean, he didn't agree with it, but he didn't put up too much of a fight after we after we looked at the video. So I think the right call was made myself.
2: And you, and you talk about, Mike, how important the positioning is of refereeing, too. On that exact play, the referee virtually right in front right of you, you talk about how he can see that stick positioning and whether he did get in the hands or whether he tucked in to the feet. I guess, you know, how much teaching or how much importance is placed on a in terms of their positioning on the ice so that way they can see – the right call, or in this position, make sure they're not
1: making the wrong call. Oh, we we cover positioning all the time because that, you're right, Nick. That is the biggest thing is where you're at to be able to see the play. And we have some faster guys, more in shape guys than others, and we tell the guys that aren't as fast, like if you're the high guy, you better start leaving the zone a lot earlier so you can see because we want them to see that play coming at them when you're you're the high guy and not turn around catching up with the play. Positioning in the what we we tell our guys in the corners when the puck is in the net you. Even though we have video, get to the net as much as you can. So positioning is a big thing. And, and you're right. We you look at the video, that referee is looking right at it. And, you know, like he said, the same thing. I saw stick on stick. So positioning is huge.
0: So when you talk about the process of an official, and I think it is a unique perspective where, you know, obviously you have the casual fan who's watching nothing but the puck, right? You have the hockey savvy minds who are watching all the players on the ice. I'm sure officials kind of have their own routine where they're watching, you know, hands and, you know, things like that. Kind of a different, you know, viewpoint from every aspect within the arena. But what is it like really to be an official? Like what are the what are the most exciting things about a job? How long did it honestly take you to tune out the noise and tune out the crowd noise of 5,000 people that really aren't your best friend at that particular moment? You know, what is the process like on a game night of being an official?
1: Well, that's, I mean, that's a good question. And, in you know, as an official, you get, you're kind of in the mindset of a player. Cause I know, you know there's big games. There's not so big games. I remember when I used to officiate, I used to do the, uh, you know, Gopher North Dakota game. And, you know, I thought about it the Monday before you start thinking about, okay, the crowd, what could happen, and you just start preparing as a, as a, as an official, just like a player getting ready for that game. And then you get out there and you, like you said, you let the game unfold in front of you. And I know uh, people that aren't been in that atmosphere when you're at uh, Ingolstadt arena, Mary, you know, Cole center, Wisconsin, you know, 14, 15,000, you don't hear them. Actually. You actually don't hear the crowd when you're out there and in the zone, so to speak. And that's what you try to do as an official is try to get as prepared as mentally as you can. And you know, that brings us into another point with with amateur officials. That's what we basically are. I mean, we're not pro officials. It's it's tough sometimes for these guys to, you know, get on a plane Friday morning, Thursday night, and your three year old son just came down with a cold. You know, now you're leaving your spouse, you know, with two other crying kids, and you're getting on a plane to go on a weekend, to, you know, Denver or, or something of that nature, and so you just have to be in the mindset for that and and get into that. And and the biggest thing is, is like we talked about before, knowing your positioning to help you out through the game, knowing the rule book and, you know, being the right right, uh, frame of mind for those games.
2: Mike, you brought up the Gophers, North Dakota rivalry, uh, you know, old shades of WCHA. Um, I'm curious if a uh, name of Derek Shepard rings a bell for you at all.
1: We had to bring up, we had to bring up Derek, didn't we? Oh, yes, yeah. we did. <laughs> See, Derek will say that everybody at Grand Forks loves them, but everybody at Grand Forks says we hate him, and vice versa at Minnesota too. So, but uh, Derek was, Derek was my, was, I hate to say my linesman, but he worked lines with me. Him and John Campion for years, uh, we worked, uh, I think, three or four frozen uh, fours together when he was linesman, and then he moved up to, to uh, reffing, and he, uh, he's, uh, he's quite a character
2: other <laughs> uh, you know i guess for for a character or so referee, i guess how you you talk about the mental aspect of being a a referee i guess that's got to be pretty important especially when you have two opposing coaches and all those players that are probably constantly in your ears you know from even before the game till even after the game's finished i guess how mentally tough is it to be an official
1: well it is and, and like i said it starts from the minute you get into the rink and you got to leave your home stuff alone like, again yeah, we're not nhl or this isn't our livelihood so you got to really leave your stuff that's happening at home and, and, you know, now get ready for that game. And it, and the referee's got a lot of routines, just like players. You go get coffee before the game, you go put, lay your stuff out in the, in the, lo- in the locker room that, you know, it skates this way you, you do your pregame routine the same way. So you try to stay in that same routine to be mentally out there and, and get in the game. And then the thing is, is when dealing with coaches and dealing with players is there's, there's a fine line between confident and arrogancy and any officials, any officials at all. I mean, uh, you know, like I don't care what sport you're looking at and the more confident ones that can be confident in their game and be able to, you know, do that game without thinking, overthinking it will be the most successful. And the other thing is about officiating out there is communication. And we try to, we got some guys in our league that don't communicate as good as others. You got to be able to talk, talk to the benches, talk to the players, and sometimes you have to put the hammer down, you know, and, and use some salty language with them. But, you know, that's how it is. And coaches appreciate that. Coaches will always tell me, hey, that referee, you know, acknowledge stuff. And you guys might not even see it during the play because it'll happen during, during the play, during stoppages where they're communicating with officials on the ice. That's what they want. So basically, if you can get that under under wraps, you're going to be OK in officiating.
0: I always appreciate, you know, the officials that were straight shooters. I think, you know, it, you kind of knew that, you know, whatever their line was, you knew where they were, you knew yep. where you stood with that too. Um, you know, and some officials too, obviously being able to say, you know what, that's my bad. I apologize too. There are times where that happens too, I think. But Mike, I, I kind of wanted to ask too, you know, when dealing with players, when dealing with coaches, let's kind of flip the book. If you're a player or a coach, as an official, how how do you have a discussion in a way that like, you're going to kind of be able to meet and talk about it. Obviously you're not coming up to somebody, you know, screaming and yelling at the official. What is an official do you want to see from a player or a coach that allows them to kind of talk it through with you and, you know, maybe kind of decide or figure out, you know, where, where they stand that night.
1: Yeah. Basically it's, it's, if a coach wants, I mean, we have coaches, a good example of this coach isn't around anymore. Uh, uh, Man, Cato, Troy Judding, love him. Oh, yeah. He's was, he was great. Everybody, but, but he just all the time. He's going, going, going. He'd send the captain over. In fact, there's one captain. He's from Warroad, I love the. I can't remember his name, but he came over one time, and I, I go, "What?" And he goes, "No, Schmitty, Schmitty." He goes, "Just let's let's just talk." He goes, "He sent me over here. Let's just talk." So we just sat there for about thirty seconds, talked about <laughs> everything. And he, he, goes, he goes, "He goes, is that long enough?" I go, "Yeah, that's long enough." So then he went back to him, <laughs> and, and you know, just to make Troy happy, but. So if a coach is always is going or a captain or a player always got the mouth going, you know, that player probably not gonna get you know the benefit of the doubt or get it, you know. But when that coach wants to talk about something, you know, if, if it's not after just a every two-minute minor but talks about something that, that did happen that's weird, okay, let's go over. He comes down to the not standing up on top of the the back of the bench, comes down to our level. And, and talks in a, you know, in a manner that's not screaming or yelling, hey, we'll talk all, you know, not as long as we will, they want to, but we'll talk to them. Same as a player. I mean, some of the great captains I dealt with, they weren't in your face turn around going, you know, you F and miss that, you effing miss They just, they would look at you and go, hey, you know, that guy put that, you know, stick in my back, you know, and hey, you're right, and I'll look at it next time, and those guys got the benefit of the doubt at the end. So it just, it basically comes back, like I said, communication again, is is just talk to us, Treat us like human beings. We're going to come over and talk to you in those situations on, on on that. Just but the coaches that want to talk all the time or the players that are yapping all the time, they're probably not going to get that benefit that we that other guys would.
0: Quick follow up, Nick. I just want to kind of jump in there. Uh, um, as always, right? But uh, when you have a coach that you kind of know, they're kind of fired up before they even call an official over, right? It's something that they're you know you know feel is very you know aggrieved in some way at what point do you kind of decide like, yeah, we're just going to go over there and we're probably not going to be there that long. Like, how do you manage this situation when you know that a coach is kind of white hot? Are there ever situations where you don't even engage uh, with the coaches a little bit, you know, kind of how, how does that work? Where, where the line where you're like, yep, you're not going to get the time of day.
1: Yeah. And we try and tell our guys in our league at the end of periods, if a coach is waiting at the bench, we try to, we tell them, Nope, we'll talk to you at the start of the next period. And they usually gives the coach time to cool down, and sometimes they don't even they don't even come back out to want to talk because <laughs> they would you know they just it, it it's just a heat of the moment deal. But and the thing in the situation is is that if it is like I said a weird situation where you know uh, the guy got pulled down you know like we were talking about and, they, and that wasn't the end of the game it was a goal yeah you'd go over and talk to him but if if it's not going anywhere and the and the coach is just mother effing you and going down that road we're not gonna it's not gonna Get, gain anything to do that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're going to go over and talk to the benches to explain a weird situation in that. But if the coach wants to talk all the time, they're probably not going to go over there and, and entertain that in, in those situations. Uh, again, now if a coach, we might go over there and there might be another coach like the assistant coach going off or there's something they will go over and say, hey, I'm not going to talk to the assistant or your trainer. I'll talk to you, but not that guy.
2: Mike, I want to get your perspective on the, just the general, uh, I guess, uh, procedure of reviews. Uh, I know that whether it's an offsides call or a shootout, uh, you know, continuation of the play kind of, uh, play, right. Um, a lot of fans are looking at this and I know it, in St. Claude was a two weeks ago, it was almost a two and a half minute review in the shootout. Um, I, I guess from your perspective and not necessarily what the NCHC wants, but from an officiating perspective, uh, cause you've been doing this for so long. Um, are you a fan of the longer reviews? Does it, does it really matter? Are you really even concerned about how time they're taking or is it, you're just trying to get the call right based on the video reviews and everything is, is that really all you're focused on? You're less concerned about how long it takes.
1: Well, we don't have enough time to go into reviews because you're talking to the guy that does not like reviews. I, and, and everybody knows in the league, I, 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 I'm not a review guy. I, it's kind of funny because my game, my, I did a BU in Michigan in Milwaukee in 97, the frozen uh, face-off. That's the first time we ever used video review. It was only for if the puck crossed the line or not. That was it. And that was a big thing. Going, wow, we're using review for puck crossing the line. We actually got to use it one time in that game. Uh, no, I, I'm not a big review because I, I, I look at it as the official makes a call. It's a human in nature, right? And we make a split-second call. Um, so should we be reviewing everything? no, I don't like it. I don't like the length of reviews. Um, I don't know how long they take. They slow the game down. They're not good for fan interaction. They're not good for teams sometimes because you know, you lose the momentum. Now with that said, I got to go back a little bit, a couple of things, because since we have it, a lot of the coaches were saying, well, why didn't you, we have it. why aren't we using it? So we always hear that. Right. So, you know, so then, you know, if we have, we're spending all this money on technology, why aren't you looking at it? So the coaches are a lot that bring it up too. um, Sometimes the other thing is the video is not working. Um, and that would take such a long time. And what happened is that night of what you're talking about that um, uh, over, not overtime, but shootout goal, the above net camera was not operational in St. Cloud for some reason. So they did not have that view. So they're trying to look for that view, look for that view, look for that. View. Where is that? Bring it up, bring it up. It wasn't there. Um, so, you know, we're trying to look for the best angles. And then what happens is like in a situation like at St. Cloud is that you'll have your in-house cameras that are a part of your view, but then you have, uh, your, uh, I think your Fox, whatever it is, it'll be there. Well, what we call production views. Well, production will then send views to us. So I might, you know, talk, say, Hey, does production have anything? Yeah, it's coming. Now it takes longer to get that up. So I know it takes longer, but then what we do is we, what happened years ago is we, went with nothing but our views that we had. And then about after the game, a production view came up and showed it clearly. So that's why we want to see every view in production. Do you have anything? Do you have anything? It might take longer. And then it comes down to the, the last thing is that it takes longer. Is that like, let's take that, sh- that uh, shootout goal. It's our guy's asses on the line, right? So they want to make sure they get it right. So they look it over, look it over, and they want to make sure they get it right. But uh, I mean, I wish we could just, Get in there, look at it, and, and boom, it's there. Let's move out. And I, I, I agree with you. But there's a lot of other things that happen with reviews that the fans don't understand. Um, and technology is a lot to do with in a lot of these places.
0: Hashtag Max Veach on that one for sure, Nick. Uh, I I got two more questions from Mike. And again, thank you so much for joining us. We seriously appreciate it. Uh, Talking about the state of the NCHC a little bit, because I think it doesn't really matter the fan base. I think there's always going to be those fans that feel like the NCHC officiating, I'm sure it was the same when the WCHA is not up to snuff. They're always missing calls, you know, that sort of thing. You know, as an official and around the NCHC officiating crew, how much of that noise, you know, do you actually notice? And how much of it, you know, do you actually view as that constructive criticism to kind of feel you feel you, uh, to continue to try to get better at your job? How much do you listen and how much, you know, do you, are you just focused on your process each time?
1: Well, I mean, I look back when I officiated, we didn't have Twitter, Instagram, social media. It was awesome. I mean, it was, (laughs) it was, it was, I mean, they used to bring down after the game VHS tapes to us. Here's your VH to go review, you know, and that's, I mean, I got a ton of them downstairs. It's just funny, but, uh, And, and yeah, nowadays, you know, again, I'm today, you know, I, I do the social media stuff, but I try not to look at any of the stuff that's negative, get into it. I've, I got some things today from the game this weekend, one of the games. And, uh, but again, our guys are pretty good on it. Our guys will, you know, uh, you know, they will not look at the social media stuff. They won't go get into it. Uh, people try to message them. They try to get out of that. Um, but nowadays it's kind of a, it's, it's there. Um, so, I mean, we hear things like, you know, the the, the is not up to par. You guys got to use NHL guys. Use these guys. Use these guys. I mean, you look at the NHL social media, they're getting hammered every night um, mm-hmm. on things. Uh, um, you know what? The biggest compliment I get from our league, and it doesn't get out there a lot, is when our coaches go to other conferences. And I'm not saying other conferences don't have good officiating. I'm not saying that at all. But when they come back and go, you know what? I really like our guys you know it's it's you know I, I I thought we didn't have some good guys but man after being out here this weekend I really appreciate our guys a lot more so I you know I think we could do better a lot of times but things like that happen and you know we'll 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 try to get better as, every weekend that's and that's what I'm trying to do that as a supervisor
0: didn't you know Mike that reffing is just a Sunday stroll in the park it's easy come on man <laughs>
1: Well, you know, it's funny that I was, I was home this weekend. I didn't, I wasn't working anywhere. And I went out Sunday to our rink and mine it just to go watch hockey, just to sit there and squirt B game. And I was going, what's going on here? Long story short, the team from the uh, coach was pulling his team off. Cause the 16 year old kid, he didn't like how he's officiating. So now I got to get involved in this kind of somehow. And I'm going, oh, hey, I'm going to send me to an NCHC weekend. It's easier. You know? <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's crazy.
2: Mike, my final question actually dives a little bit deeper uh, into almost that exact topic is kind of the, what we're seeing is a a rising and kind of a negative trend in terms of the treatment of officials. I know uh, there's uh, some video being shown around social media about uh, essentially a a younger player that has essentially what it looked like. He punched an official, um, right? um and luckily um that player is at least from what i can see is either indefinitely banned or permanently banned but uh, i guess are you noticing an uptick in in this treatment of referees and are you concerned at all for the state of refereeing in itself if we continue to see behavior like this
1: oh absolutely i mean uh officiating not only in hockey in every sport it's down throughout the, the country and we got lucky this year. We have a guy in my hometown, Thor Nelson, who's a retired NHL linesman, thousand games, 20 years in NHL. He's a referee in chief in North Dakota. And our numbers went down like by 20, 25%. And he literally went out and did emailing to these individuals now. And our officiating went up, try and get people in. And we try to bring, like I said, when I'm off, I'll try to be at the rink to help out to, you know, get situations like this. But uh, yeah, you're right. I, it's, I don't know what we're going to do about it, but it's kind of funny because I was, what situation would happen with this last night, whenever that happened, where that individual punched that official, then you start looking at remarks of individuals. Well, but the linesman got in his way. He was probably mad because the linesman was in his way, you know, and then, and, you know, I mean, there was linesman and people are kind of not making excuses for the kid, but kind of going, well, you know, if the fish eating was bad, I can see sometimes guys getting, you know, their, you know, emotions high and everything. And I understand that, but, uh, you know, but it is, it's, it's, and the kid, like uh, the situation I talked about when I went out to the rink the other day, you know, the 16 year old kid, I went and talked to him and you could tell he was not shook, but he was, you know, do I want to go back out there? I said, go back out there. We're going to be here. I'm going to be here. Some other guys are going to be there, but you know, the kid was shook and luckily he was, uh, he's a goalie. So he's a little goofy, but, uh, you know, so he's, uh, <laughs> you know, so he was able to go back out there and, and do it. It's, but yes, it is a situation that's, uh, I don't know what's going to happen, but, um, you know, we've had situations around here, like I said, where parents have tried to come down to the referees rooms with, you know, 12-year-old kids doing a mic game, you know, so I don't know what the answer is.
0: Yeah. I actually know who that kid is now and he's a very nice kid. So, um, uh, good guy, but you know, it's kind of funny, Mike, uh, my final question for you before I get to it, my, actually my last ever competitive hockey game, national championship game actually never ended. It got stopped with 39 seconds left because a kid opened the penalty box door and came out of the penalty box and knocked an official out. Um, Talk about a uh, very odd way to win a national championship, by the way, tough celebration after that one. But uh, um, yeah, kind of weird. I was on ESPN in my last hockey game, but for all the wrong reasons, (laughs) technically, um, (laughs) But my final question, speaking of national championships, Mike, uh, you've been around, you know, some WCHA final fives, national championships, regionals. Is there one particular event, one particular game, one particular weekend that really stands out in your career as a highlight or something, you know, that you're never going to forget? Or is it just a particular opponent or weekend series that came around every year?
1: No, I, I think, you know, there's so many of them in the old, in the old WCHA. I just think every time you had a Minnesota, North Dakota game, Minnesota, Wisconsin game, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the, my first championship game was probably the biggest one. Um, 98, um, I was at Boston and it was Boston and Michigan at the fleet. Well, it was called the fleet center back then, you know, and then it was sold out 19,000 plus. And that was just, you know, uh, I mean, when you're out there and actually one of the linesman, John Elvy, when we we're sitting there waiting, you know, in the referee's crease, waiting for the announcements, <clears throat> he leaned over, he said, Hey boys, look around, soak it up because we may not be here again. And that's, it kind of hits you on, and you kind of look around. And, uh, and you know, about the other one, another <clears throat> game that really sticks out is, I did the World Juniors up in Red Deer in 95. I ended up doing Finland and, uh, and Canada on New Year's Day, which turned out to be the gold medal game, because they used to do round robin then. Mm-hmm. And so they had to actually push the game back 45 minutes, because people couldn't get in, because now that turned into be the gold medal game. And that was during the strike year. So Canada was loaded with all the pros and to go out in Edmonton on the Gretzky ice, you know, and to be out there and sold out with Canada, Finland was, was awesome too. So was, those are, those are memories. But I tell you what, in the WCHA, the, all those big games, North Dakota, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Minnesota, those were all the fun, the fun games.
2: Certainly, uh, it's you know fun to see that even from a referee's perspective, you know you enjoy the game, right? Uh, Mike Schmidt again, NCHC official uh, supervisor. Thank you again so much for joining us, and uh, we'll definitely have to keep tabs on you and uh, continue to have a great uh, rest of the week. We'll we'll definitely catch up with you at a later time.
1: All right, thanks guys. Appreciate it.
0: And Nick, that, that was a fun one. I definitely enjoy, you know, Mike pretty straightforward, pretty candid in a lot of things, obviously within his boundaries or realms that his occupation currently entails, of course. But uh, <laughs> um, you know, Nick, uh, kind of final thoughts uh, on having Mike and maybe more, you know, thoughts on, on the NCHC. I, uh, unfortunately for Mike or not, fortunately, whatever you want to call it, uh, he's going to be very in tune to the Huskies seasonal success, so to speak in the upcoming week here.
2: Yeah. And, you know, I I do appreciate how, you know, Mike does see it from both sides. Uh, I think, you know, as a former player, you do have, a little bit of that grasp of what it's like to be in, you know, in the heat of the comp of uh, the competition, as well as, you know, understanding that your role is to help to manage the game and you're trying to get the calls, right. you also know there's a human element to it. So I think he's got the right balance and, you know, you can kind of see that through the NCHC. Um, and, and I think he said it perfectly, you know, they're, they're not going to be perfect, but I think the NCHC does really strive to get uh, the calls right as best they can. They educate each other. They allow the coaches as he mentioned in, in, you know, in our talks with him to kind of give him some some tips maybe or some tricks of the trade, right? Um, but overall, I think they've done as a league a very good job of keeping um, the game flow going, but also making sure that when things are, are rightfully needed to be called, they do. They let the stuff that they think needs to go. So um, yeah, it's just, it's great to get the insight from uh, a very tough and very, uh, I, I guess a position that receives a lot of more criticism than do would praise. So a uh, fantastic insight from him.
0: Yeah. It's not very rare that, you know, you hear like good things about officiating per se. I mean, you hear it in spurts of moments, like, Oh, that was a, a well-officiated game or that sort of thing. But, you know, there's not really a whole lot of praise, I think over the course of a season for an officiating crew or, or a leagues officials and that sort of thing. So I think it does kind of give, you know, a, another piece of insight. And I think the thing that kind of most stuck out to me too, is, uh, you know, NCHC officials and college hockey officials, you know, in some senses are, are kind of weekend warriors in terms of this, you know, yeah. and this is not necessarily a livelihood uh, for a lot of these uh, uh, officials per se. So uh pretty interesting episode i thought and obviously going to have a lot of implications as we come up this show coming out on tuesday morning at six o'clock in the morning so implications related to uh tuesday night's game uh against duluth as well as the Colorado college matchup coming up next weekend for the men's squad women's hockey back in action this weekend in the wcha quarterfinals against ohio state uh best of three series on that one interesting to see how that one ends up and then men's hockey the following weekend is going to match up against Duluth at Amsoil Arena to close out the regular season before some NCHC playoff action and of course the Minnesota Wild boy did they look good the other night uh with a nice victory over the Edmonton Oilers had some friends uh in attendance there that are Canadian and uh it was money well spent not for them. Uh, with, that being, <laughs> with that being said, Nick, that will do it for episode number 100 of the Healthy Scratch Interview segment. As always, check out episode number 101 coming out this Sunday.
1: So
2: Dina
1: fires and she scores. Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies alongside. Dwayne in for a chance to win
2: it. He scores! Kirill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner.
1: St. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.